Let's talk development. Season 2, episode 2. Assalamualaikum. Uh welcome to, to today's episode of Let's Talk Development. My name is Amna Bajwa and I am your host for today's episode. And uh, I here welcome Mr. Atif Mohammad Ali, the Chief Commercial Officer at Ingrow Fertilizers, who's joining me as our guest tonight. Assalamualaikum and welcome Atif. Waalaikum salam Amna. Thank you for having me. So I'll briefly introduce Mr. Atif. He commenced his journey with Engro Foods in 2007 where he was responsible for delivering transformative business initiatives such as the establishment of the Engro Milk Automation Network. Um he also turned around the ice cream business and piloted the pasteurized milk and meat business at Engro Foods. And after that he transitioned to the energy sector uh, with commercial and general management role at Sin Engro Coal Mining Company. uh energy engro energy limited engro power generation kadirpur and now his current role is as the chief commercial officer at engro fertilizers atif also uh, has headed the centralization and transformation of the procurement function at engro corporation is that right atif ji bilkul ha chali uh so why don't you tell us very briefly about your current role at engro fertilizers and then we'll uh, start questioning about oh, talking about the fertilizer industry its sustainability um uh, farming smallholder farmers corporate farming diversity at your office and research and development so over to you perfect um so in my current role amna i'm i'm responsible for the marketing division of engro fertilizer uh, the marketing division is the distribution the sales the branding the r&d so after the plant gate everything else is what i'm responsible so i'm responsible to ensure that the product reaches the farmer and the end consumer on time so a very key role especially uh, when it comes to farmer that is the main consumer of your product and the farmer at the end of the day is highly critical for pakistan's economy uh, as we all know about 22% of the gdp comes from agriculture but more importantly 95% of our farmers are small holder we'll talk about that but first atif the fertilizer industry you know we all know that it is heavily reliant on government support approximately over 200 billion rupees are, are provided in direct or indirect forms to the fertilizer industry and we all know why the government does that it they do that to keep the fertilizer prices low eventually to keep the food commodity prices uh, at uh, at an affordable level um in your perspective is this sustainable given a near bankrupt government how can the fertilizer industry transition to a more sustainable model without the support of government subsidies so so let's take a step back and see where this entire thing started from so 2008 and the the fertilizer policy came out by the government and rightfully the government at that time basically wanted to promote domestic production of fertilizer in the country so that's a, that's an import substitution as you will be importing it as as per how the demand was growing in the country and in order to incentivize uh the farmer um and food security they wanted to have the price of the product cheaper than what you will get internationally so the price of urea should have been cheaper than what you get internationally now urea is directly proportional to the gas price so that's the bulk constituent percentage everything else is is negligible and so you had to set the gas price now whenever you have such a scenario where you want to issue a local policy you have two options either you benchmark it to some sort of international standard or you benchmark to a country or you benchmark to some other index that is available 
the government, the government, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, decided to benchmark it to the Middle East, which is where subsidized gas or lower price gas is also available. Already there. Yeah. So I think that decision was the right decision because what it resulted in the country was that the price of urea, predominantly for the greater part of 20 years and even right now, is cheaper than what you will get domestically. So you will get from uh, international way to import. So even right now, the price of urea is half than what you will get internationally. And in COVID times, I remember it went fivefold above, um, and your domestic prices kind of helped it. So all of that is good. However, one thing has changed now from where we were sitting in 2021, and that is that now we our gas reserves are in depletion, and there is a reliance of an imported gas in the country in the form of LNG. So you have now another mix in the entire system. So going forward, I think the 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 view is that we'll probably have to relook into the entire gas pricing mechanism because you have to kind of have that uniform. While you have your own reserves, you price that well, but you also have an international price and you have to balance those pricing all across. Um, and, and if that requires, in fact, that should require some sort of reforms and pricing adjustment for the fertilizer sector as well, which should happen. So going forward, I think the government and the government I know is very actively looking into some sort of gas pricing reform to kind of unify gas prices so that we can move to the next stage. And you think the industry will welcome that? Yeah, I mean, you, you it should. Um, uh, uh, the reality of the fact is that your gas reserves are depleting. Uh, and in order to run those plants, you um, either set up a completely different new technology, which obviously takes time. That's another dimension the government should start working on. But that takes time to materialize. Investments and all of that takes time. But while you have your gas reserve depleting, you have another import source, you have to rationalize the gas pricing. Agreed. And I believe the industry should welcome it. I don't see that as, an, as, a, as a challenge. Okay. You very rightly pointed out that, you know, if you look at the trends of the urea prices over the years, the Pakistani urea prices have been significantly lower than the international prices. Yeah. However, when I look at the same trend for DAP, it's quite the opposite. Why is that so? Because see, in Pakistan, so, so there are three major nutrients that you need for the, for the soil. Nitrogen, phosphorus and potash. In Pakistan, it's nitrogen and phosphorus which are fundamentally needed for the for the plant. Nitrogen we produce, so we produce our own urea. Phosphorus is produced from phosphorock. Pakistan has no reserves of phosphorock, so we import phosphorock. Um, there's only one uh, company in Pakistan that produces its own DAP, but that also imports phosphacid and then kind of produces something out of it locally. The rest we are just reliant to import. Uh, phosphorus. So you can very evidently see that those products that we could domestically produce have been priced lower than international and hence benefiting the farmer and benefiting right. the food prices eventually. But for phosphorus, uh, unfortunately, we don't have an option. We have to import. We don't have in the country. Um, now, moving on to the private sector in general, how do you think the private sector and, and fertilizer is, again, as we talk about farming and small farmers, is key to it? How can they boost the productive capacity of small farmers in Pakistan? We've noticed that um, uh, over the years, the uptake of fertilizer and pesticides have increased significantly, but yields have not gone up as much. Uh, many argue that the seed technology is not keeping up to pace. Uh, in your opinion, um, is that true? And secondly, um, what programs or financial support does Ingro have uh, specifically for farmers? 
uh, and, and, and our interest is the small farmer because the majority chunk here are smallholder farmer, which means they own less than 12% of the land. Over mm. to you. So, so, so let's, so yield enhancement is a function of multiple sources. Um, the right fertilizer, the right seed, the right water, the right farming practices. And all of that at the right time. And all at the right time. So I kind of encompass all of that into a single sentence and I say that it's technically farming education. Um, with which, if you look into the country overall, education remains a weak sector for hours. You educate people, automatically things will start to improve. Um, and and an educated farmer will understand the right practices, is able to learn the right practices and is able to implement the right practices and having is not follow legacy history, but use his own knowledge to figure out what is the right direction. And that is what you see in other countries which are better yield. So what so what Engro does, so Engro is just one of the input providers in the entire chain. So we provide fertilizer. Um, but we do understand the importance of explaining the right agriculture mechanism. Um, so we have a program which we call Shandar Kisan, where we work with a lot of farmers. And what we do is we provide two services to the farmer. One is soil sampling. Uh, because a farmer, in order to understand that what do they want to do with the with the farm, needs to have the data to understand what the soil is, so that they can understand what kind of nutrients they have to put in. So we provide that for free. And secondly, is farm education. Uh, we work very very closely with farmers all across the country. We conduct farming groups. We conduct farming sessions. We, in fact, just recently established an Engro Learning Academy at Faslabad University Agriculture. And the whole idea is to teach good practices to farmers so that that will help them in better managing their crop that will eventually come in better yield. But us as a company can only do limited. I know other players in the private sector, so the fertilizers and, and pesticides and seeds are all doing something. But if you kind of onion peel it together, you'll find that the core issue still lies in education. As an and education, while private sectors and NGOs can do something about it. A lot of responsibility lies on the government. As we improve the education and as people get educated and learn more about it, I think automatically things will improve in this country. So everybody's trying to do their part with trying to do our part to what the best what we can. Completely. And and that's highly appreciated. Um, so you mentioned about, you know, these farmer education schools and training programs that you have. Is it only in Sin or in other provinces as well, like Punjab, KP, Balochistan, uh, GB, or is it specific to, let's say, one or two crops, uh, or just the areas where the farmers are connected with the Engro sales agents and they do, uh, you know, sometimes uh, farmers that, for example, buy a particular product, the advisory comes with that product. So is this through that? Is it sales related or is it generalized? So, um, uh, Pakistan predominantly ninety percent of the agriculture baskets come from Sindh and Punjab. So that is where your bulk is. Though you're a national company, uh, but Sindh and Punjab takes up the the bulk of the share. And the the interesting about fertilizer sector is that it cannot be linked to a crop. Fertilizer is all across. We provide to the entire country. We work in with all areas. We work with all crops. Um, so the advisory comes through all crops. Naturally, um, if you look at the country agriculture basket, the the bigger crops takes the bulk of the share, which is like wheat, rice, maize, and cotton and sugarcane, um, as compared to the smaller crops. But we have a very strong program we've been running on uh, on orchards, 
because one of our product, which we call it Haze, uh, is a balanced nutrient fertilizer primarily designed for orchards. So we work with a lot of orchard farming um, areas for mangoes and for uh, for citrus as well and giving them advisory on it. So uh, by nature, fertilizer companies by default uh, look into nationwide. Now let's talk a little bit about large-scale farming. We all know that recently the government is more and more interested and is prioritizing corporate farming primarily for the uh, uh, for, for better food security in the country. Uh, in your view, is this a good step? And how do you think the transition will look like? And, and when do you see it to happen or unfold? So, do you um, think do you think it is possible? So, firstly, I think it's it's a good initiative to have large corporate farming in the country, um, and why? Because there's two forces. One, you get investment. So, uh, Pakistan is truly, truly a blessed country. Uh, you, do, you don't call it the mighty Indus for just for the namesake of it. It's mighty Indus because it feeds the agricultural land on the left and right, uh, and it, this is from ancient times. Uh, the ancient times of ancient Iran, this is always considered to be the most prized area for anything. Um, so, our civilization was here, uh, based on the industry. Exactly, exactly. This is where the, the cradle of everything started from. So, um, the government's, and the government pushed to have large corporate farming, um, I think benefits in two forms. One, you get investment. So, you get people who's putting money in the country. Second thing is, is you get modern technology. And while it, it goes to large corporate farm, but then mushrooms out to the rest of the country. And if you look into um, sectors which started large, it automatically knowledge mushrooms out to smaller. We saw the same thing in the telco sector. Investment in the few large telcos mushroomed out to smaller entities, and now you have an entire IT ecosystem being developed. You saw the renewable sector pushed to large renewable, and then it's kind of mushrooms out to smaller ones. So as investment comes in, as new technology comes in, as better ideas come in, it will automatically then start to mushroom out to the smaller farmers, which overall helps the education and knowledge economy of the country. So I think it's the right step. Um, we should all be supportive of it. Okay. Um, I, I, I agree. Corporate farming has its benefits, but it also has a lot of issues. And I'll, I'll highlight some of the issues. Um, which also pertain to the fertilizer industry, the issue of um, GHG emissions. Yeah, you know, corporate farming and fertilizer use in, in agriculture is one of the primary or the major um, causes of greenhouse gas emissions in, uh, in the country and across the world. And that comes basically from the use of uh, oxide-based fertilizers. Now, prolonged use of these fertilizers, they also cause soil degradation and because it reduces the organic matter in the soil and it, it reduces the fertility. In your view, um, how can one mitigate uh, the negative impact of the use of fertilizers? And also, if you talk about corporate farming or, you know, that is something that is going to come up, uh, this is only going to get worse. So, um Predominantly, climate change impact or greenhouse emission gases or, or emission gases, I think the biggest culprit is carbon dioxide. So I think they, they are far bigger in, in terms of emission and impact of emission in the environment. I think the bigger, so there are two, right? Carbon dioxide or nitrogen. I think the bigger evil over here is carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide uh, is a bigger 
um, threat to capture as compared to running after nitrogen. So that's my my view around it. And Pakistan, in terms of the carbon dioxide emission, already stands at the lowest. That does not mean that we have a lot of areas to improve in carbon dioxide emission, uh, which includes your 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 transport, your movement of goods and commodities, and etc. I think those are all the areas where we need to work on to reduce carbon dioxide. As far as nitrogen-based emission is concerned, which happens fundamentally from urea, um, so technologies are improving around the world where coated ureas are being done. Engro itself has a coated urea product called Zabadas Urea, which kind of helps in in in, in solving those issues to some extent. But at the, at the and, and your soil degradation matters can also be resolved by putting in organic matter in the soil. While organic matter reduced, you can put organic matter. But the fundamental fact of all of this remains is that today we are a net importer of food in the country. And we have to feed 230 million people. And while being environmentally responsible, it's important and it's the right step. We also need to ensure that food security for the country is present. And large-scale corporate farming with the use of fertilizer is the only proven technology we have at the moment at large scale to feed the fifth most populous country in the world. Now, as technology improves, as more and more technology comes in, we should be adopting and should be open to adopt all of those. And we should be talking about it. But we have a problem in hand. We have to feed a lot of people. Completely agreed. So basically what Atif is trying to say is that we need to prioritize our problems. Yes, this is one of the problem, but uh, we have bigger problems at hand, which we need to basically focus on, as such as ensuring food security, making sure we have plenty of food to feed our own population that is growing more than uh, any other country in the world. Um, now, uh, how about we talk a little bit about uh, the role of women. Now, agriculture sector is generally perceived to be dominated by men. However, 70% of the female labor force is in agriculture. Um, now, when we talk about um, uh, big big corporations like yours, I'd like to understand what is the diversity and inclusion uh, in, in your workplace? Could you maybe uh, put light on some of the key initiatives that your organization has undertaken to enhance uh, female inclusion? Not just that, but overall to improve employee rights, because that's also another issue that we keep hearing, um, uh, you know, which is a problem, a menace in the in the corporate world. Um, so over to you. Yeah. So I think Engro. Uh, so just a couple of stats uh, which are quite interesting, and and I just looked at these stats this morning about last year. So that. Two key programs that we run. One is a trade apprenticeship program. So we are a manufacturing company. Directly facility which we have is probably one of the uh, one of the most complex and largest facility we've got in the country. Um, and as a manufacturing entity, you want apprentices and you want engineers. And as you know, that engineering has been a very male dominated uh, industry historically in the Pakistan and also in the country. So. Every year we induct 70, 80 trade apprentices, and these are hardcore trade apprentices who do welding, electrical, um, civil, and other mechanical-based items. 45% um, of those inducted last year were women. So you have women trade apprentices coming in and doing trade work which historically men have been doing. Similarly, we run one of the most comprehensive graduate trainee program in the country where we get young engineers right out of university and we train them to be 
leaders of tomorrow um, in the engineering Canada. Last year, 35% of those engineers inducted were women. And in fact, I was part of those graduate training interview panels and, and some of the engineer, women inter engineers I met were astonishing and some of the some of the stories which they had were so inspiring. So these are just two of the stats which shows that how important is diversity for, for the company because we truly believe is that representation of women and uh, the right representation of women in the workforce will give the right business results. It's no more a matter of a diversity percentage, but it's more of a matter of business objective on its own. You cannot run a business in the country where 50% of the population is women and you don't induct them in the workforce. It's just not practical or logical. Um, in the sales function, agricultural sales is predominantly, I mean, predominantly what 100% has been a male-dominated industry because you have sales officers going down in the field with the farms and meeting men. We ran a program last year, Parvaz, and we said we want to break this stigma. So we inducted three female territory sales officers who will be now going to the male-dominated farms and selling them fertilizer. So um, change has already started, um, and, and I think this will only grow, and, and we remain steadfast in ensuring that, that we, we play our role. Uh, in terms of rights within the organization, I think, uh, um, so other than the, the, you have the, your, your, your committees and, and your harassment committees to ensure the right um, safe work environment, but I think the best thing what or, or something very interesting what we launched last year was an entire diversity, inclusion, and equity program. And it was not just a training program that you bring in five or 20 people in a classroom and you train them about diversity. We picked up diversity ambassadors from across the group and we picked them in hundreds. And those hundreds were training um, other team members within the group on diversity. And it, it's, a, it's a discussion and it's a topic that we discuss it in our meetings, in our board meetings, in our monthly meetings, in our quarterly meetings, and, and etc. I have been corrected multiple times because historically, I use the word female. And I've been corrected multiple times by my team members where they listen, the right word is woman. So we are in that process. Um, and I think, inshallah, things are on the right track. Good luck with that. I really hope other companies also follow your footsteps in this. Um, now, we all know there's a wide audience who is listening to this podcast and As an employer, aapka, um, jo main, what, what are the key issues that you are looking at youth mein? Because, you know, I'd like this message to go out that these are the things that the employer does not want to see. So, in your view, what are the key issues that you see in the youth of today at the time of inducting? as an employer? So the youth of today is probably in the most interesting junction which I which one could see, right? Because we are in that era that you see multiple generations. You see Gen Zs, you see millennials, you see boomers, you see all of that. Um, some things in life don't change. That's what my my view is. And one thing is, uh, which our chairman also very rightly puts in, it's, it's, it's character. Um, and character comes from speaking honest, speaking truthful, and a lot of hard work and integrity. Uh, there are no shortcuts to that. There is no shortcuts to hard work. There is no shortcuts to integrity. There's no short work to not speaking the truth. Um, and I think these are the fundamental things that you see. Because if if a candidate has these three qualities, they're willing to put this, they have the character, 
they're willing to stay, they're going to speak the truth, they have integrity and they're putting the hard work, then that is the right fit for an organization like us. Um, we can teach skills. I, I, when I came in in this organization, I was working in a, in a, in a technology-based role. Um, and over the years, I have worked in seven, eight different functions within this organization. The organization is willing to take a bet on you and teach you skill sets. Uh, but the character, your truthfulness, your integrity, your hard work, that has to be ingrained in you. And that, if you have that, and I think the things will work out all well. Key message for all the young people listening to this podcast out there. Very important messages and life lessons and completely agreed there are no shortcuts to this at all. Um, now let's talk about the Pakistani uh, fertilizer industry in general vis-a-vis -vis the international fertilizer industry. Uh, a lot of people argue that sometimes the private sector industry in Pakistan is not up to par with the international standards. Do you think that's the case for um, fertilizer? Uh, maybe uh, how how do does the efficiency compare to the best performing international fertilizer companies? And uh, if you think there is a gap, what is the industry doing to bridge that gap? Because Pakistan is part of a of a global network, and we have competitors both onto the left and the right side of our geography. Um, we cannot work in isolation, even though the fertilizer market is currently um, targeting the local consumer, but we can't ignore the fact that, uh, you know, eventually we need to be more export oriented. So in your view, what are the gaps and how do we bridge those gaps? No, I absolutely agree. I, I think um, we, we live in a global space, right? And, and the world is changing dramatically. Pakistan gas market is also changing. Technology is changing. Um, if I just speak about Engro first, I think, so Engro, time and time again, every year we do benchmark studies of our efficiency of the plant and we compare it nationally. It is engraved in the organization that we have to be globally best in class when it comes to operations, safety, efficiency. And I think even the last benchmark we did, we came out to be better than a lot of the fertilizer companies in the region. So we, we at least for our, for, for Engro, I can say that um, we, we are there. Uh, yes, there's, room, there's always room for improvement, but what we we can compete globally um, uh, with the, the other agriculture space. Um, and for the rest of the industry, I believe fertilizer industry in Pakistan is fairly well-placed, but I think some gas pricing reforms, once we have them, it will enhance this efficiency requirement even more. Um, it's more and more important now with the changing dynamics is to deregulate the market um, so that natural efficiencies come in within the within each company. So if I compare the fertilizer sector with other fertilizer sectors in the around the world, I think Pakistan is fairly well placed. Uh, Engro certainly I know is there, but um, there's definitely room for improvements and some gas pricing some gas pricing reform could probably enhance those efficiencies more industry okay now talking about um, taking on from there what are the expansion plans for Engro in the new near future short to medium term <clears throat> so I can talk about Engro fertilizer um, I mean we will continue to uh, invest on our plant improve its efficiency de-bottle like the plant uh, so that we could get more fertilizer output uh, we will continue to invest in R&D of fertilizer products so that we learn 
Um, so, so we can keep on reducing new balanced fertilizers in the market, new high efficient fertilizers for the consumers. Um, so, so on the line as a fertilizer company, these remains key for us. And obviously, there are opportunities which you keep on exploring, and then they happen from time to time as per the direction of the board. Thank you, um, Atif. A very good conversation, very insightful for all of us. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say to your listeners out there? No, so uh, so thank you very much for having me, and uh, I'll just try to reiterate um, to the message to the youth uh, what we were talked about earlier. Uh, character is important. Um, there's no shortcuts. Uh, a lot of hard work. Speak the truth, um, and those are the key success that will make someone go forward. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for joining us.